So we've been working our way through the life of Abraham, the patriarch whose, whose story appears in the book of Genesis. And you know, the interesting thing about, or the important thing about Abraham as you think about it, is that he, he represents the patriarch of about half the world's population as it stands today. Christians, Jews, and Muslims all claim Abraham as, as sort of the, the source of, or the original father of their faith. So this is this tremendously influential guy, and so it's interesting to look at his story, and, and I, I think we see two things when we look at his story. One is, at one level, his story is a comedy of errors. In spite of God's promises to him, in spite of God's blessings to him, he, he just keeps messing up in, in just ways that just make you cringe. But then on the other hand, Abraham it has access to God and is closer to God in, than anyone before him, and he's sort of the groundbreaker of what it means to walk with God, what it means to be used by God, what it means to have a relationship with God. He, he kind of, he, he shows us, and he's the first person really in the Bible who shows us what that looks like. And this is one of the most remarkable passages in, Abr in, in Abraham's life, and, and it represents among other things, the first intercessory prayer that's offered up in the, uh, in the story of the life of Abraham, uh, or in, in the Bible. The first of, of many uh, examples of prayer that, that the Bible offers us. So if uh, you'd like to follow along, it's printed in your program. It's from Genesis chapter 18. And, um, and we just kind of pick up in mid-story as Abraham has just been entertaining some heavenly guests and they've been talking about what God is going to do. Then God himself said, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? Abraham is going to become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down now to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. And if not, I'll find out. The men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abram remained standing before the Lord. Abraham stepped forward and he said, to God, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it all away instead of sparing the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people who are in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Then the Lord said, well, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. So then Abraham answered, Since I ventured to speak to my Lord, even though I am just dust and ashes, suppose the fifty righteous lack five. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He replied, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Then he spoke to him again. Suppose forty are found there. He answered, I won't do it on account of forty. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry, I'll speak further. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I won't do it even if I find 30 there. 
Then he said, Since I've ventured to speak to my Lord, suppose twenty are found there. God replied, I will not, not destroy it on account of twenty. Then he said, Let my Lord not be angry. I'll speak one more time. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, God answered him, I would not destroy it on account of ten. Then when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of God for God's children this morning. You know, we talk about the greatness of Abraham and what did it consist of. And the, the biggest thing that Abraham's con greatness consisted of was not the victories he won, the wealth he accomplished, the family he built, or anything like that, but it was his closeness to God, his intimacy with God, his, his deep, profound, personal relationship with God. And, and that's what's amazing about this passage. Here we see God actually invite Abraham into his council. We see God's invitation here. God is trying to decide what he's going to do with this city, this, this city where there's all these problems. And he says, look at verse 18. Abraham is going to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So God says, you know, I've given Abraham the special place in this world. I'm going to bring him into my council. I'm going to tell him about what my plans are and what my intentions are now for Sodom and Gomorrah and, and have a conversation with this. And, and really what we see here is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, God had said, to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and all nations will be blessed through you. And that's, that's what God references here. He says, I've made these promises to Abraham. Maybe I should begin to implement these promises right now by bringing him in to my council and sharing with him what I'm about to do. And so Abraham becomes the a blessing to the nations, he becomes, he becomes the person who's standing between God and man, the, the mediator between God and man, the, the first priest, in a sense, between God and man, standing, representing humanity before the very throne of God. And what's God's message? It's, like, it's, it's simply this. The, the outcry, look at verse 20, the, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. God is hearing an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. And what, what is that about? Well, the Old Testament scholars tell us the outcry here is the same, the word here, the context here, it's the same idea of, of other places in the Old Testament where it talks about the cry of the poor, the cry of the oppressed, the cry of orphans, the cry of the displaced, the cry of uh, widows and other people. And one of the things that shows us is that you know, some of us need to read books on prayer. Some of us need to study prayer. Some of us, you know, we get together with our friends and say, you know, I really should pray more. But then there's other people who are so desperate that even though they might not be articulate, even though they might not have ever read a book on prayer, they cry out to God for help, and God hears their, their, their cry. The Bible says in another place, the Lord hears the cry of the poor. It says that God is close to the brokenhearted. It says that it, 
that it's the poor that he blesses and that he's the defender of the fatherless and the widows. And so one of the prayers that God always hears directly, regardless of who offers it, regardless of the circumstance under which it's offered, regardless of the way in which it's offered, is when the victims, when those who are being abused, when those who are being mistreated, reach out and call out to God in prayer. And that's, that's what's happening here. Sodom and Gomorrah is an evil place probably from a lot of different angles, but in a place like that, a lot of people are being exploited. A lot of people are being victimized. A lot of people are being used and abused. And they're crying out, just crying out, and God himself is hearing it. And he's going to go to work, and he tells Abram, I'm going to do something about this. And he lets Abram into his council. And so, so th this is a picture of why was Abraham great? What is the greatness of Abraham? What was the importance of Abraham? Here, the God of the universe decides and chooses that he's going to invite Abraham in and tell him about what his plans are and what his intentions are. The greatness of Abraham consisted in his intimacy with God, his relationship with God, his connection with God. And you know, that, I think, is the story of humanity. That's the story for all of us, that, that, you know, we do certain things, we accomplish certain things, like Abraham, maybe we fail in certain ways and we succeed in other ways, but it's really, at the end of the day, it's what is our relationship with God, what is our intimacy with God, what is our connection with God that really defines our uh, success or failure, our meaning or the meaninglessness of our life. And so Abraham does something, he institutes something in, in, him, in and of himself. He becomes the mediator, he establishes himself as the mediator between the people of, the population of Sodom and Gomorrah, those people we know, and, and God. And here's the profound thing is, is Abraham there is operating in the way that all of the true descendants of Abraham were called to operate. You know, later in Exodus uh, chapter 19, verse 6, Moses says to the nation of Israel, I've made all of you a kingdom of priests. Your role in this world is to represent God, to stand before God, and to represent, represent the people before God and represent God to the people. And, then, and that, that's a theme that Peter picks up on, in, as we saw in our call to worship. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Abraham here is simply doing exactly what you and I are invited to do wherever it is we find ourselves. God invites all of us to be people who come, who, who represent, who represent the, our brothers and sisters, our, our fellow humans before him at prayer. And the other thing I want to say is, you know, it's, it's, sometimes we wonder in, in the case of various circumstances where we're led to pray, we wonder, is God really hearing this prayer? Is God really listening to this prayer? Does does the fact that we're praying for, uh, for this particular person or this particular situation really matters? But one of the things the Bible shows us, as here, is when we start to pray, we think we're doing it, but really, the very fact that you're praying is a miracle in, a, in and of itself. And the fact that you've been led to pray, the fact that you feel called to pray, the fact that you've been burdened to pray, and that you've actually 
turned off the TV or turned off your cell phone or put your work aside or whatever it is and are taking time to pray shows that God is at work there. So the first sign that God is actually at work is the fact that you have taken that moment to pray. And so he's already begun the process. So God tells Abraham what he's going to do, and Abraham gets a little bit uh, desperate. You know, it's, it's like for us, if, if God said, God came to us and said, you know, uh, I'm going to have to wipe out Bayonne, but what do you think? You know, it's kind of like, well, I better call Katie and Ben real quick. <laughs> uh, he understood that, that, uh, that, 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 that this was, was uh, that something bad might happen, and Abraham didn't want it to happen. Abraham knew people there. Abraham had friends there. Abraham, Abraham was uh, connected to people there. And so, so he, he, he calls out to God to, to try to, he, he starts an argument with God. He starts a negotiation with God. He understood a basic principle of humanity, and that is that we're all connected, that all of us are, are connected to one another. And even though it doesn't seem fair, and even though it doesn't seem right in our world such as it is, uh, we often find ourselves in circumstances where, where we're suffering for other people's sins or suffering for bad mistakes or bad choices that other people have made. And that's, that's the way our world is. You know, you see that in the fact, you know, you think of any family where a father has gone off the rails and how the whole family suffers as a consequence or if one of the kids has serious problems and the whole family starts to struggle as a result of that. Um, we see that uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, other, uh, in other circumstances. I mean, I, I think, you know, I realize that even moving to the city, one of the interesting things about moving or living in a city, you realize that, that suddenly there's, there might be a thousand people living within a, a couple block radius of each other. A lot of people, and most people are just hardworking and they're trying to, to, to raise their families and do their job, take care of their homes and build their life in whatever circumstance they are. But because there's so many people in such a tight area, if you just have one or two knuckleheads in that area, they can make life miserable for everybody. Because that's the nature of us all being in, in community. You know, one or two bad apples can spoil the whole batch. But that's the basic principle of community connection, which, which it, it seems like as Americans we sometimes try to deny, but it's, it's, it's a fact of life. And it's, a, it's something you see throughout the, uh, through, throughout the Old Testament and, and the New Testament, this idea that when uh, certain representatives of the community do the wrong thing, the whole community suffers. On, a, on the other hand, when certain representatives do the right thing, they can change the destiny of the whole community. And so Abraham's dealing with that, and he understands that dynamic as, as it relates to God's intention to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And, but, but he proposes an alternative argument. He says, well, God, I understand that, that there is a reason why you might have to judge this city, but... But let's look at this another way. Look at verse 23. This is actually remarkable. Abraham steps forward and he gets creative. He says, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people who are in it? 
You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? Do you see what his argument is? God, God's, what, what Abraham sees happening is that because a certain plurality of the population of Sodom and Gomorrah is off the rails, God's going to judge the whole city. And, God, and Abraham says, well, wait a minute. What if it worked the other way? Is there a possibility that somehow, perhaps, the righteousness of the few could result in the whole city being spared? That the devotion of a few could result in the whole city being blessed, and the faithfulness of a few could result in the whole city being saved. He says, what if, what if there's only a few people who are righteous? Can't, for their sake, could you possibly save the whole city instead of condemning the whole city because of the majority that are apostate? See, he's not denying the communal nature of things. He's just turning it on its head and saying, can't the goodness of the few bless the, the larger community? And, and uh, you know, I think what's happening here is Abraham's so desperate. You know when you're really desperate sometimes in a conversation and you know you're losing and you know you're in a weak situation and so you start making stuff up. And so Abraham just kind of throws this up against the wall and the amazing thing is, it actually sticks. God agrees. And so God says to Abraham, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. So, I, so God says, okay, Abraham, I, you know, I kind of like that argument. I'll, I'll go with that for a while. If I find 50 righteous people in the city of, of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place. And then Abraham thinks through everybody he knows in Sodom. He says, well, what about 45? <laughs> And God says, okay, 45. And then Abram says, well, what about 40? And God says, okay, 40. And then Abram says, well, what about 30? And God says, okay, 30. And what about 20? Okay, 20. And then Abram says, well, what if there's only 10? Maybe that way. And God says, okay, if you find 10. And so it's, it's interesting here because it's kind of a one-sided negotiation. I mean, God doesn't make any counteroffers. And Abraham keeps lowering his bid. You know, it's like a reverse auction. He keeps lowering his bid, and God goes right down with him. But here's what's happening here. This is actually a pivotal passage in the Bible because Abraham is establishing a, the principle that I think goes through the whole rest of the Bible and the whole story of redemption. It's simply this. The principle of grace, that the righteousness of the few can save the many. And that's a principle that can animate all of our lives. It's a principle that can give you hope when you find yourself in a discouraging situation, maybe a discouraging family situation when it seems like your family's going off the rails, or a discouraging work situation, or a discouraging uh, school situation, or a discouraging or difficult community situation. What God is saying is this can work in reverse. On behalf of the righteous few, on behalf of the faithful few, on behalf of the devoted few, I'll spare the whole city. That's how I work. See, what God is saying is that grace actually 
runs uphill and there's a godly minority, a, a faithful minority, can actually change the destiny of a whole larger group because that's the way God works. And so that, I, I think that's important for all of us. When you think about your own life and, uh, you know, if you find yourself in a discouraging situation, you find yourself in a difficult circumstance in your family, you find yourself in a difficult circumstance in your place of work, if you find yourself in a difficult place in your city and you wonder why God has put you there and you feel alone and you feel alienated and you feel oppressed, maybe this is why. Maybe you are the one on whose behalf God is going to work to spare that situation and grace is going to run uphill through you. Uh, I think if you get that principle, if you believe that principle, it can animate your life and it can give you a reason for hope and a reason for confidence and a reason to move forward, even in the midst of difficult and painful and, and frustrating circumstances. Because you might be the one through whom God's grace works and draws and, and through whom his grace comes down. Uh, you know, and, that, and it's also the principle that could animate our church. This is the principle that the opportunity that God gives to the church is that through the faithful church, through faithful believers, a city can be saved. This is a story of God agreeing that, well, if I find ten people, I'll spare the whole city. I'll redeem the whole city for the sake of just ten people. And, you know, it's interesting. People wonder why Abram stopped at 10 people, and one of the reasons people say is, is 10 was sort of the round number that was the minimum for forming a, uh, a synagogue, for forming a, a community in, in the Old Testament period. And so, so Abraham, Abraham, in his mind, said, well, we need a plurality, we need a body, we need a, a, um, a group of, of at least 10, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to go beyond that. So it's sort of a confusing ending in a way because we go from God saying, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to judge this whole city to God saying, well, if I find 50 and then all the way down to 10. And it seems like in this negotiation, Abraham's got God on his heels and then Abram just gives up. He just packs up and... and uh, and he said, I, I, you know, look at the very last verses there. He says, I will not destroy it on account of ten. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abram, he departed, and Abram returned to his place. So Abram gets him down to ten, and then he's just like, all right, I got to go now. And it's kind of like, I, I, it, it's, it's like imagine you were trying to buy a house. And, uh, and you made a lowball offer on this house that you liked, this condo that you liked. And... Uh, and at first the offer was rejected, but then they came back and, and you, you spent several weeks going back and forth. And then in the process of, of going back and forth in this negotiation, they actually met your lowball bid and then, and then they got so desperate they made an offer below that, below your lowball bid. And then you said, you know what, I think I'm going to rent for another year. And you just walk away. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the anti-climax that we have here. God, Abraham gives himself to this... Uh, negotiation. He gets God all the way down to just 10 people, and then he gives up and walks away. Probably because as Abraham was thinking about it, he realized in that whole city, he did not have 10 people. 
And you know, if you know the story, you can read it in, in Genesis 19. The one, there was one, one small family there, the family of Lot, his little nephew, and they had, they had to flee. So, uh, but the greatness of Abram is that he develops this theory with God. The limit of Abraham is even though he's able to develop this theory with God, at the end, his argument doesn't prevail, and he's, even though he, he stands and tries to uh, advocate for the city, he isn't able to ultimately advocate for the city, and he, he gives up because he can't even meet the generous standard that God has set for him. But later, as the Bible unfolds, we, under, we, we come to discover that what Abraham unearthed here, what Abraham what Abraham introduced becomes the principle by which the God works to redeem the whole world. And, uh, you know, because the one thing Abraham doesn't go, do is he doesn't say, okay, well, for the sake of ten, you'll spare the city, but what about for the sake of one? I mean, wouldn't that be the logical thing to say? Wouldn't that be the reasonable request? What if there was just one person what if there was just one person in that city for the sake of one, would you redeem the city? But that, my friends, is the story of the whole Bible. The story, the promise of the whole Bible is that one day, for the sake of one, God is going to redeem the whole world. In fact, that's the ultimate promise that was fulfilled through Abraham, that the seed of Abraham, the son of Abraham, the final son of Abraham, the ultimate Abraham, who would stand before God, that would be the child Jesus, who would be the one who was righteous, who was able to stand before God, and who was able to redeem everybody he pleads for. That's why this verse we read a little bit earlier is so profound. If anyone does sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, as great as Abraham was, there was one greater than Abraham. Abraham tried to represent his people before God, but his argument fell short because he didn't even have by God's generous standard, by God's reduced standard, he still didn't have, have the resources to meet that standard. But what the New Testament tells us is we have a better advocate in Jesus, and he's got a better case to make. Uh, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You know, and, and I, I think one of the things Abraham illustrates to all of us is that it's dangerous sometimes to care. And it's dangerous to put yourself out there. And sometimes, I don't know, have you ever felt, felt like uh, compassion fatigue? Like you get too, too uh, involved and you care too much about the certain circumstances or certain people and then things don't work out and you just uh, and, and uh, you, you feel like, like that was just so much uh, agony for nothing ultimately but 
and, and I think that will be the story for anybody who dares to care. Sometimes you'll get involved in a person's life, you'll get involved in a situation, you'll get involved in difficult circumstances, and the end result will simply be that things don't work out and all of your prayers and all of your efforts will fall short. But what this shows us is that the ultimate hope for you, the ultimate hope for me, the ultimate hope for our families, the ultimate hope for our communities, the ultimate hope for our cities, the ultimate hope for our nation, the ultimate hope for our world is not us, not our intercession, not the righteousness that we bring to the table, and it's not our personal access to God, it's that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is our advocate, and he is standing before God, and he's got a case to make that's better than the case to, that Abraham made. Abraham only made a negative case and tried to tried to wear God down and say, what's the least you will take to save this city? Jesus has a positive case. His plea is that, yes, the failures are there, but these sins are paid for. Atonement has already been fully made. There, the price has been paid in full, and based on my atonement, based on my atoning sacrifice, based on the righteousness of the one, they can be forgiven. Based on the, on the good deeds of the one, they can be saved. And that's the hope for you. That's the hope for me. That's the hope for your friends. That's the hope for your neighbor. He stands and speaks for, for the Father in our defense, and he has a better argument than Abraham. He says... The sacrifice has been made. Their sins are covered. Their guilt is atoned for. They are with me. The Bible tells us that God does not resist that argument. As the song we sang said, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, and my name is graven on his hands, and my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing generosity that you showed through this story. Thank you that grace runs uphill, and it is possible that the righteousness of the righteous one can redeem the whole world. Help us to rest in that. Help us to trust in that. Help us to share that with others. Father, give us a vision for what you can do to use us in our prayers, in, in our families, among our friends, and in our place of work, in our communities, in our city, and in our country, and in our world. Help us to Help us, give us eyes to see how you are working in response to those prayers we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.